in the scriptures this morning. Turn to Acts chapter 8. This is going to be our Pentecost sermon. Lee, thanks for trying to read all of the different nationalities and places around the earth listed in Acts chapter 2. I appreciate that. And our series is Holy, Holy Rupture, and Pentecost is a, is a, a brilliant day celebrating that. Um, the ruptures of all of those boundaries of language that keep us separated from one another, distinguished from one another. Um, um, uh, sometimes making hostilities between those, those groups that one of the signs of the Holy Spirit is this, this good message transcends those barriers and boundaries. And um, I want to hold that up as something that we, we make sure we mark on the calendars every year to say, remember, um, the boundary crossing spirit. And what groups of people do we feel separated from, cut off from, distanced from? What groups of people have we marginalized or distanced or thought were less sacred? Um, this, is, this is a day um, that moves us beyond those barriers. And we see then after that, that, that day of Pentecost, the book of Acts kind of just keeps progressing out in concentric circles to more and more people. And our focus this morning is going to be in Acts 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, this Philip, uh, I believe in the, the tradition, is in Acts chapter 6, the, a Philip that's named a deacon. Um, and then we see Stephen being stoned. And then we follow kind of one chapter of, of, of the Spirit working through this... this uh, this guy named Philip. So here's, here's uh, to get us into the passage, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Um, Saul approved of their killing Stephen. Uh, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So here, the movement of the good news is instigated because of, of the persecution. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And here you you have this like accepting of the word and then the receiving of the Holy Spirit is split into two events. And, and it's as if Luke the writer is trying to, to give like, really, Samaritans? 
um, the gospel's going out to that out group of people, and it's like, yes, and then you have this confirmation from the original, uh, you know, it's like Peter and, and John put their stamp of approval on what, what's going on, um, that the gospel is moving, and even to the Samaritans. Which brings us now to the passage we want to focus on this morning. And uh, again, Lee, thanks for introducing the time this morning with your leading about listening to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. Um, because this new movement of God is often accelerated or the, the boundaries get crossed because someone listened to a vision or a word of the Spirit. Um, and I think, to me, that's one of the signs. Like, how do you know this is from the Spirit? Well, often if it's moving you in a direction, a place that you haven't been, you might have even religious misgivings about um, you know, we see the Spirit moving Peter to the Gentiles, and here we see the Spirit moving Philip um, to a very unlikely person. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, you know, as I was preparing this week for this sermon, like just reading this verse is profound. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know, I, I, I can't think of a place currently that is more walled off and separated, disregarded, um, dismissed. Um, often Palestinians live in Gaza, are seen as only terrorists. Um, and so I'm really impacted by this, this verse, the whisper of the Spirit to go to a place that is now walled off. Um, you know, I was able to get into Gaza in 95, but not in 2014. You can't, you, you're not allowed in and no one's allowed out. Very rare. I mean, it, it is, you've got to get a special visa to get out. And often that, uh, they're more often de denied. So, Gaza right now is an open-air prison and subject to, to horrible abuses. Um, and for me to be in solidarity with both Israelis and Palestinians is to know like <clears throat> that that kind of apartheid situation will not result in peace for anyone. So the fears that 
are involved in this separation are great, but they don't ultimately lead to peace. And um, I, I believe this is worth our prayers, deep intercessions for these deep divisions. So he started out, and I, I want you to think about that to listen to the Holy Spirit and start out when you hear these leadings. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandeki, uh, which means queens of the Ethiopians. Now, this, this area is kind of just like Egypt and kind of um, south of Egypt. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I want you to go south on the road to Gaza and then you see that chariot, stay near it. I want you to go near it. Um... Uh, if you're ever interested in the weird books that I read, um, Eunuchs and Castrati, a Cultural History by Piotr O'Scholes. Um, uh, but it's kind of like a, a fascinating historical regard of this category of eunuch, which is pretty a broad umbrella really to the, the sexual other. Oftentimes, eunuchs were highly regarded slaves. Um, so they were trusted servants, but also um, humiliated at the same time. So it's like you're regarded and disregarded. You're regarded and derided. Uh, but often in royal courts, they would employ eunuchs because um, they, they were not a threat of uh, maybe sleeping with their women and impregnating them. Uh, so you, you had this trusted place of honor yet you were also disregarded as not fully human in a lot of ways. Um, and then there was other cultures that had a high regard uh, for eunuchs in a kind of priestly position because um, their androgyny was seen as like the bringing together of male and female, which then was closer to the gods. Um, so that was in some cultures as well. Um, but the Hellenistic Roman one um, saw maleness as closeness to the gods. So um, someone who is sexually ambiguous is uh, problematic. But I, I, I think of what a fascinating, what a fascinating story. I mean, I'm so grateful for this, that this is recorded. And in the progression out of the Holy Spirit moving the church, it goes Jerusalem, Samaria, 
to a foreigner whose sexuality is not easily categorized. And this is, this is a reality that I want us to, to um, bring into present day, just as we reflect on Gaza. We, we bring in that there is just kind of this broad category of eunuch, which um, could be, you know, Jesus even says some, some are born uh, with a sexuality that's not, not categorized with a binary of male or female. Some are made that way. They're castrated, um, and many slaves were castrated, again, so that their, their close encounters with the royal court wouldn't um, make that suspect or problematic. And this man, who is not Jewish, still went up to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. And I, I just love this image of Philip running. Do you know what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So this is a quote from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Um, it's the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. Um, and most, most New Testament quotations of the Hebrew Bible are from the, the uh, Greek translation. And those, those translations from the Hebrew differ sometimes quite dramatically. Um, and... You know, I've never, I was never impacted by this as much as I have been in this, this past week reading this. Because I think of a eunuch reading this passage. Um, so think of this, this Ethiopian as someone maybe as a young boy or teen who was uh, forcibly enslaved and um, castrated to serve high officials in the court. And imagine what that does to his identity. 
maybe people are, are like, well, you've got this high, important position, but you're not free. And you were deeply violated. Something was taken from you. Um, and it had all kinds of implications. Like, he was denied... Uh, Denied a family. Denied being able to uh, be in a relationship. Denied uh, marriage. Um, he is a slave. So read this passage again as if it was talking to him. The Ethiopian eunuch was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The shearer, the castrator. And in his sexual humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants because he won't have any? For his life was taken from the earth. Uh, the heading in Isaiah 53, which wouldn't have been there in the scroll he was reading, is the suffering servant. And I could, I can hear this man reading this passage feeling like, that's me. I'm the suffering sir. I'm a servant who has suffered, who has been deprived justice, who had to stand before the shearers in silence, and who will speak of my descendants, and what hope is there for me? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Friends, I am like just deeply moved by this. Um, I'm, I'm in... I'm impressed by the boundary crossing of Philip who listened to the spirit um, who I think all, all his upbringing would have been biased against going south to Gaza getting into the chariot with a foreigner and, and uh, someone who was sexually othered and Philip did. I'm in, I'm moved by this sibling of ours from Ethiopia, compelled to go to Jerusalem, where maybe his otherness would have been exemplified, but there was something compelling him about the Hebrew God. And then 
Philip began with that very passage and told him the good news about Jesus. And this to me over the next several weeks is going to be, do you know how to take a passage beginning with a, any passage and see the goodness or be able to create good news. Um, this is like the nourishing meal. Um, and I think I have to confess for most of my life, I couldn't make a nourishing meal for the sexually othered person, the non-binary person, the intersex person, the gay person, the queer body to make a good meal that comes from the scriptures, not a toxic one. And I think this is one of our first examples and it's early of like in Acts, we go Samaritans, the sexually othered foreigner, boom, boom. Before we get to the Gentiles. And it's like, how did Philip know full of the spirit to begin with this passage and speak good news. So some of uh, this morning, I, w I wanna, uh, I wanna I'm like, okay, what did Philip do? Like what, it, what uh, we don't have the, the message or the conversation. Um, so I want us to imagine what might that conversation have been like? What, what scriptures, may have been used in um, explaining the, the Hebrew Bible um, that kind of furthered the story because here's how it ends. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. So this dear soul, what could stand in the way of my being baptized? Uh, tell me, because my heart is leaping and you've actually <laughs> pronounced some good news. So is there anything still that's a barrier uh, to me being fully immersed with this liberating spirit of Christ? Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the river and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. And here again to our LGBTQIA plus family, who for so long continues to have a spirit seeking Christ, but often meets disciples who won't get into the carriage with them, and for the life in them cannot take the scriptures and announce a good word. And I just want to repent of that. Because here, very early on in the story, 
sent a sexually othered sibling baptized and rejoicing. And you just have this crazy rupture. The boundaries are ruptured. Philip hears the Holy Spirit and listens and obeys the Spirit and presents good liberating news. So what's the story? What's the... Uh, What's happening here? And um, what I want to start with are the passages that are the barriers. What could stand in the way of my being baptized? And perhaps, I don't know if Philip did this. But he starts with this passage in Isaiah, the suffering servant. Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And expresses the Christ of solidarity with all servants who have suffered. That um, the Jesus he's telling him about understands what it means to be humiliated, disregarded, abused, denied justice. And then maybe talks of how is your experience in Jerusalem? Why did you go to worship there at that temple? And were you included? Were you not included? And perhaps Philip went to the, the, some of the heart of his tradition that is a barrier. And... Um, I want us to wrestle with the, this chapter in Leviticus chapter 21 and see how this text um, is useful for correcting, meaning we're going to correct it. <laughs> it teaches us something. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed. No man with a crippled foot or hand or who is a hunchback or a dwarf or who has any eye defect or has any festering or running sores or damaged testicles. So Moses told this to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites. So what could stand in the way of me being baptized? Well, I have damaged testicles, or I don't have any, or they've been removed, or they were crushed in an accident, or I was born that way. And here is a text that says, I'm defective and can't come near.
It's reiterated. No descendant of Aaron the priest who has any defect is to come near to present the food offerings to the Lord. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the most holy food of his God as well as the holy food, yet because of his defect he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes them holy. Um... So I want us to delve into this idea that the disabled, the humanly defective, as this passage say, cannot go near the curtain and, and say this is one of the ruptures, the holy ruptures, that must happen. Um, and I want to see how we do this today. You know, so uh, the picture in the bottom corner Yep, Steve Rogers is not, was a weakly, uh, physically defective dude. He was not a fine specimen. Uh, but then he was, you know, got the serum that made him Captain America. So here's kind of my reflection on this ancient passage, which you can tell is really early in the story. Um, in, um, you know, they cannot come near to offer the food of his God is a, um, like you're offering sacrifices um, so your God can eat is a, is a you know, d deep, deeply early in the evolution of religion. Um, and you see this progression with, even within the Hebrew Bible, that that's, that, that idea is, is um, moved on. Like, oh, God doesn't need our food. Um, he doesn't even need our sacrifices, the prophets say. And so what we, what we witness in these texts is the revelation of what this tribe thought at that particular time and not just the whole tribe but a very particular group um, this would be like the p source or the, the the priestly source and so this is an early tradition of how people envision god and you wouldn't have uh, a defective priest representing the 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 people So I want us to consider this, that this passage is about people. It reveals a human defect that we must confront. It is not a revelation about God. It reveals the danger of using God to codify human bias. So to me, Leviticus 21 says something about what the priests thought about God, um, and then they use God language to justify that. Um, so we get to we get to have a conversation with this text of what is um, did God really say this to Moses? And then we like wrestle around with it. It's like all of our talk and why we do things and when we employ God in them need to be tested and 
moved. And we see that it, even the prophets criticize their own thinking, um, their own traditions, um, and move it, move it forward. So here's what's preserved that I think is pretty in, interesting. We have instinctual revulsions against disability and deformity. You and I do. This is, there's so many studies that talk about this. We look away. We feel uncomfortable. We wonder what is wrong or what went wrong. We wonder what did they do wrong or what their parents did or did not do. And a lot of these things are like unconscious. Now, the, the good news is we can retrain ourselves. We can confront these biases so that we no longer see disability as something that's wrong um, or defective. We can actually embrace and see each and every one of our uh, beauties. And this is work we have to do. And there's problems if we don't do that work. If we don't confront and face these biases, we codify them. We sanction our disgust with, dog, with God talk. Dog talk. That's what it's like. God doesn't want a deformed priest. We canonize it. And our biases get passed on from generation to generation. Those are disgusting people. Those are less than people. We are superior to them. So this is like if... If we think Leviticus 21 is presenting an accurate depiction of God, that actually stabilizes us in the biases we actually need to confront. We canonize it and our biases get passed on from generation to generation. This is an important and ominous text. This text is a mirror. It's a... It's like counter-revelation. So the picture to the right is the Calendario Romano. I can't, I don't speak Italian, but um, I saw this when we were in Italy two summers ago. Each year, they, the Catholic Church comes out with like the 12 hottest priests that make you want to confess your sins. So there you go. Uh, we do this same crap. Leviticus 21 is an ancient PR firm. Who makes for a good-looking priest? You can't have some festering sore of a man up there offering pe people sacrifices. You know, you can't have Steve Rogers before he gets the, the superhero serum, like representing. That's not Captain America. God wouldn't want that because we don't want that. That's what this passage is. We want people to look at that makes us proud and are pleasing to our eyes. This is still with us in, in us. And then we say that's what God wants. So we codify our disgusts and our revulsions and sanctify them and make it holy. And that needs to be ruptured. That needs to be ruptured. We need to confront this.
as something that's anti the liberating spirit of Christ. All right, we'll move on so you don't get too distracted by those lovely looking priests. You can see which month you like best. Okay. Now here's a counter, a counter, a counter. So I think one of the things that's going on with the prophet Isaiah is, is confronting this tradition. So the servant of God, the representative that's going to be liberative, for the dejection of the people is not going to be the perfect specimen. The one who's great to look at. The one who sells and makes the Catholic Church money. We do the same kind of nonsense, so I'm not... It's just that calendar was perfect. <laughs> Think of this. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that should... We should desire him. He was despised and rejected by humankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. So I imagine Philip walking through these scriptures, a tradition that kind of codified our biases against him, the eunuch, the one with damaged testicles, the sexually othered, the one who can't um, have children, as someone who's despised and rejected and say, this, this suffering servant is in solidarity with you. People looked away at him. And this is the one who I follow now as the resurrected Christ, the one who is able to go through the humiliation and come out the other side. That the God of the universe identifies with the despised one, the marginalized one, the one who religious people said were God forsaken. So let us return to this, this passage. <sighs> this one, the despised. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So I can see this, this story and maybe, oh, does this God actually see me? And maybe that the words of the religious leaders who are keeping me separated, maybe there's a different word, a better word, another word, a different spirit, not a spirit that's willing to interrupt and rupture our biases. But is there good news other than the solidarity? And I can see Philip unrolling the scroll a little further 
three chapters further. And um, here, I'll go to this and then back to the story. Three chapters f further, there's this word, Isaiah 56, 3 to 5. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Can you see that? The Ethiopian, the foreigner, and a eunuch. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a more memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Can you see this announcement? The days that within the temple, those with questionable sexuality or intersex brothers and sisters, the passages that said those with damaged testicles cannot come near to me, that, that's done within the walls. That's been ruptured. There's a new day. For those grieving that the only way that they can have a lasting impact on the world is by having kids, I will give them a memorial and a name better than sons or daughters. That was the, like the biggest fear. So even as we wrestle with more passages in Leviticus, I want to say one of the, the logics of Leviticus in the sexual, moral, ethics is anything, any kind of sexual activity that did not result or could not result in the producing of a kid was seen as wrong and an abomination. So why is it an abomination not to have sexual relations during a woman's cycle? Besides why, why, why would you do that? But because sex, when you're having your period, does not produce a child. Why do the, the commands of uh, a, a male should not lie with a male as a female? That does not produce offspring. It's an abomination. You know, so why do you want to obey the commands of the Lord? and honor your father and mother so that it will go well with you and you'll have a long life in the land and your children will celebrate after you. So it's all dependent on you having and producing children. Go be fruitful and multiply, have kids. And so you see a lot of this overturned in what Jesus is saying. A new command I give to you. Therefore go into all the world and produce disciples. So it takes it out of not producing biological children, but produce people who share in this new liberative way. And here there's good news for the eunuch who's been denied family and denied the ability uh, to have kids. There's an everlasting name, a better name 
Uh, can there be a better name? Yes, Isaiah the prophet says. That's not tied to your ability to have children. Here's part of what I think Philip did that day in the, in the chariot. And I'm so glad he listened to the Spirit and got in the carriage and had this conversation. Okay, so I want to go back to this story of St. Francis and the rupturing of our instinctual biases. St. Francis had a fear and abhorrence of lepers. One day, however, he met a man afflicted with leprosy while riding his horse near Assisi. Though the sight of the leopard filled him with horror and disgust, Francis got off his horse and kissed the leper. Then the leper put out his hand, hoping to receive something. Out of compassion, Francis gave money to the leper. But when Francis mounted his horse again and looked all around, he could not see the leper anywhere. It dawned on him that it was Jesus whom he had just kissed. What I love about this story was is St. Francis confronting his disgust bias. He named it. And I think for all of us, we have to name when we turn away. We have to name when we turn away. And if we have disgust or impulses or biases in us when it comes to sexually other people than ourselves, that we confront that and say, that might not have anything to do with the Spirit of God. And even if we have in our tradition religious passages that have outsided them, they might need to be confronted. No, they do need to be confronted. And are we bold enough to listen to the Holy Spirit and then to give witness that, oh my word, this transgender person has the Spirit of God in them. The Spirit has not shown some kind of disregard, but is actually giving witness. The same Spirit that lives in me lives in them. And so if there's an othering going on, that's a problem with me, not them. And that's a problem with my religious tradition, not them. And there is this rupturing work of the Spirit of confronting and moving past these boundaries. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And friends, this is what I wanna be able to do. is to interrogate the tradition, face the boundaries and barriers of disgust, and see love and life. To the eunuchs,
to those who are non-binary or gender non-conforming, to those born intersex, to our queer siblings, to our gay children, bisexual children, lesbian children, pansexual kids. I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. I will see and make meals that actually demonstrate the good news of God. So that this first foreigner, the first sexually othered person who in the scriptures could feel and have evidence of biblical othering, could also see the prophets give a new word and see the Christ who identified with the suffering servant. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to the chariot to stop. So friends, may we confront the barriers that stand in the way of all children being baptized. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So in church tradition, it was this Ethiopian that brought the reality of, of Christ to Africa. So I, I think of Nagwa, who grew up in the East, the Egyptian Coptic church, like the tradition goes that this eunuch was the first. Like Nagwa, I celebrate your presence here in our community and so thankful. And I'm grateful to Philip who crossed boundaries and to the, the eunuch who was a seeker and dared to believe that the spirit of Christ included him. So may we include each other and all around us, those who have been outsized, ostracized, marginalized, and would we identify to the despised and the rejected one in Christ. And unless we do, I think the mystery of the kingdom is kept hidden from our eyes. All right, so that's the last slide. I'm gonna pause there. I want you to take a moment just to think of what is the Spirit telling you? What is the Spirit whispering to you? What questions does, do these texts raise for you? What connections are you making? What maybe points of resistance do you have?
I used to work in a sales department that would not hire a man under six foot as a salesman. They wanted their company representative to have a presence when he entered the room. Yes, he. Uh, wow, thanks for sharing that story, Pat. You, just, you see how prevalent this is and how much, like we'll, we'll talk in a few weeks how patriarchy has formed the lens in which we form hierarchies of value because it is, it is a ranking system and it, it's thoroughly embedded. I mean, it, 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 it takes so much detoxification to get the patriarchal lens out of us. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Yeah. And this is what I see when we come to the scriptures. The, the image I have, you know, is using cooking metaphors. That the, the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament, have ingredients in them for which we can assemble great meals. Um, and if you're just using the ingredients that they might have used in a way like 2,000 years ago, it's a stale meal. <laughs> like it's, it's not good. It's spoiled. It's got to be fresh uh, and new. Yet these ingredients give us uh, amazing ways to present powerful meals. To me, this scripture just moved me so deeply. Um, and it's, it's like you can use Leviticus 21 in making a meal, but you can also use Leviticus 21 in creating death. Um, and I think some would say, well, this was a eunuch. It's not a gay person. And it's like, if you need the Bible to give the example for you today, exactly, I think Jesus would say, are you still so dull? <laughs> and that's the word to me. But to see early in the story that a sexually othered eunuch is the one who receives the gospel is profound enough. And if we can't take that to make, what does this mean what is the Spirit doing in us and through us today? Then our hearts are hard. And um, I know my heart was hard for a long, long time. Um, so there's good news in repenting and moving, moving forward. Spirit of God, speak to us. Move us on roads that move in directions and places we haven't been to meet with people we haven't seen. And may you give us wisdom to know the good word that can be spoken. Amen.